Hello everybody, it's Earth Day, 22nd of April, 2020. We're in the midst of a global pandemic, but what does that mean in regards to our responsibilities to the environment and how we extricate ourselves from this collapse that we face? Is there even a collapse? My name is J.R. Ryan, and this is Reset. Okay, so this is actually the very first episode, the very first podcast that I will have ever recorded. Um, the title of this show is Reset, and uh, I'm sure I'll do an entire episode on what that means at some point in the future, but just to give you an idea, initially, um, the, the point of my uh, beginning this and taking a venture into the podcasting world is so that I can help to reset people's uh, perceptions of how they consume the propaganda and media that uh, consumes and surrounds us. Uh, each episode that we conduct or that I conduct with other people as guests uh, will explore the, the various different aspects of any particular topic that we're going to be focusing on. And today, we're going to be talking about the environment. Because we're in the midst of this pandemic lockdown, we're going to be focusing a little bit on that as well. Um, it's Earth Day, so this is an appropriate topic, I think, for what we're going to be discussing. But uh, more to the point, and to somewhat... Um, uh, talk about the, the synthesis of why I wanted to actually bring this up in the first place and what may have actually motivated me to do this podcast in the first place is the release of Michael Moore's film Planet of Humans. So Michael Moore uh, released a new film um, the other day. Uh, well, the uh, the day just prior to uh, Earth Day, the 21st of April, uh, called Planet of Humans, uh, in which he was a, a non-contributing, um, uh, perhaps director or producer, uh, and uh, it, it focused actually on some of the concerns that uh, the green left activist sphere may have actually kind of uh, overlooked, perhaps, in the quest to try and tackle CO2 emissions. Um, the, the film was uh, incredibly good. I recommend people look at it uh, as soon as they can, even if it's not something that you agree with. You should always consume this information so that you can process it. Uh, I take a kind of a nuanced look on this film because there's some aspects of it that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, to, to start this off, uh, I'm going to read off uh, Michael Moore's introduction to the film uh, from Facebook, uh, and then I'm just going to read a, a quick excerpt from uh, what my response to it was. So, uh, Michael Moore introduced this film uh, 
by uh, asking to join me, director Je Jeff Gibbs and producer Ozzy Zenner, an important name to come back later in the podcast, as we speak some harsh truths about the failure of our environmental movement and what we need to do to turn things around. So to give you an idea uh, quickly of my thoughts of this film and, and what perhaps some other people were thinking as well, uh, I wrote this in the comment section. This was a distressing watch, and I am struggling to contain my cognitive dissonance. There is some very good and prescient information here reminding us that our future, however we choose to power it, cannot look like the past. It also addresses something I have been very concerned about for a long time, which is that there is more than one metric to be considered. CO2 is not the only environmental problem we face. There is an entourage of catastrophes bearing down upon us, and this is the holistic view we must adopt if we are to truly live in a better tomorrow, or if we hope to see a tomorrow at all. But, and it is a big but, I have two enormous bones to pick with the makers of this film. Where are your numbers, and what are the solutions? So before I get into that and carry on, I have a much longer section of this comment to carry on with, and I want to get back to it, but let's talk a little bit about what that film actually is. So uh, Planet of the Humans basically follows uh, the producer uh, through a bit of background in terms of who he is and his engagement as an environmentalist throughout his entire life, and his creeping and growing uh, concern, I was going to say disillusioned, but I don't think he's necessarily disillusioned. He's concerned about the direction in which the environmental movement is going, and it's uh, ultimately uh, close ties to corporate energy and uh, investment interests, um, which is a very legitimate concern, in my opinion. Um, the, the corporate greenwashing of environmental damage that happens on a, on a literal day-to-day -day basis, whether you have um, entities like BP uh, who give millions of dollars and pounds to uh, art galleries and museums to hide behind in terms of their uh, their their green credentials, um, or whether it's a case of the Koch brothers, who are well-known uh, climate change deniers and climate science deniers, and yet they also uh, are the one of the larger producers of um, uh, alternative energy products in the United States. Uh, these things are incongruent with each other. And they serve to basically uh, muddy the waters between what is a legitimate purpose for green uh, investment, um, uh, as well as um, just confusing and confounding the issue in general. And it, the, the point here is really that none of these things could actually happen if 
these people were properly held to account by uh, green activists and, and green leadership. Uh, but also, more even more concerning, these things couldn't occur without the actual support of green environmental organizations. Um, this film essentially goes into a deep dive into that as a topic, as well as really looking at whether specifically uh, solar, uh, wind, and in particular um, uh, biomass energies are the green uh, revolutions that they claim to be, and whether there is actually an accounting that has to take place in order for us to determine whether we want to even support these technologies as a way to transition away from fossil fuels in general. The film makes a really good case for this. Um, I think it, it uses some research uh, by several different uh, guests, including uh, one who happens to also be the producer of the film, uh, one of the producers of the film, Ozzy Zenner, who uh, highlights the the actual what would be called the um, embodied uh, energy of the technologies. Embodied energy basically meaning how much uh, CO2 or any other particular metric that you want to use uh, goes into the creation of that energy, not just the development of it at the end source and how much does, you know, a wind farm create in terms of green energy, well, you have to consider how much material was used to develop those turbines, how frequently they need to be replaced, uh, what cost to the environment happens as a result of placing them where they need to be, what cost to the environment is there in producing and mining the materials that are needed to create it in the first place. Ozzy Zenner points out in a couple of uh, examples how replacing coal-fired power stations with green technologies um, actually requires the development of further coal and gas power stations and larger ones at that in order to support the development of the fuels to, to fire the new uh, green biogas or in order to create the, the solar panels for a massive solar farm, right? So um, these things are very um, intriguing facts, and they are facts because obviously these things do need to be uh, created, and in order to create them, very often fossil fuels are a core component of creating those things, uh, whether it be through the energy it takes to fire and smelt the metal or refine it, um, into a into a usable material or you know, aluminium in particular is is much harder to produce and therefore requires a lot more of this um, uh, fossil fuel energy or whether it's actually using the byproduct of fossil fuel refining which is plastic um, or other uh, long or short chain hydrocarbons um, we live in an industry uh, where um, these sorts of 
decisions can only be made on the basis of our um, standard of life. And part of what this is discussing and part of what this film is highlighting is that if we want to maintain our standard of living at the moment in our sort of technological advancement um, and, and our, uh, you know, our desire to drive to where we need to be in a single, you know, passenger vehicle um, uh, just to pick up groceries or deliver the children to the school on the daily run or whatever the case may be, um, these sorts of consumer-driven decisions um, really can't maintain themselves without the uh, the use of fossil fuels at a very high level, even if we got rid of them as a primary energy source for uh, things like our cars or for powering our homes and, the, and, and so forth. One of the examples that they bring up is Germany. Germany uh, has several times now through the years been able to achieve a nearly 100% um, uh, power by green energies uh, this is actually a bit of a misnomer because in order for the, the, the power to be 100%, you have to take a very narrow spectrum of time in which all of the energy is actually being derived from re, re, renewable or recyclable energies. Um, that usually is during a peak. That peak happens during the day, during uh, particularly favorable conditions where there's a lot of sun and wind and so forth. Uh, and at a time when the, the storage capacities for those energies are at their peak as well. At all other times, the energy baseload is provided by coal and fossil fuels. While Germany has one of the highest usages of renewable energies in the Western world, in the planet, perhaps, um, certainly per capita, it also has one of the highest usages of coal. And the coal usage uh, has, for baseload energy has been growing whilst the renewable energy has been growing in parallel. And I think that fact alone really highlights the issue. So you can see how this is actually uh, quite a distressing uh, topic for a lot of environmentalists to digest. It's something that flies in the face of common uh, understanding of the value of renewable energies, uh, as well as the, um, the recalibration almost of, of trying to get your head around how we uh, have to focus not just on energies, but on how we actually live and how what our demand for those energies might be in the future and even right now, today. Um, this is where I want to bring the conversation a little bit around to the current situation with our global pandemic. So we're currently in a uh, global lockdown. Well, certainly most of the countries in, on the planet right now, as of today, are, are in some form of uh, lockdown or restricted movement. Um, I'm here in the UK 
sitting literally in my bedroom recording this as we speak, or as I speak. Uh, if you'd like to comment back in future, I'd very much appreciate it. It'd be great to talk to people in general, and not just because the pandemic is making us all hermits within our own homes. Um, but we are actually in this lockdown and, uh, life has changed and life will continue to be different after all of this is over and we go back, you know, in air quotes to our, uh, normal lives. Um, life has changed. We are taking, uh, stock of our, our own contributions to the world. Um, we're being forced to actually take a little bit more of a responsible perspective on how we contribute to our greater society. And uh, there's a lot of um, anger, I think, um, you know, appropriately placed as well as misguided, uh, that highlights uh, this aspect of having to change something that we really uh, we really don't want to or aren't prepared to change. Um, yet change we must. One of, uh, one of the people, one of the voices who's been um, making comment on this and made comment on this in an early stage was Greta Thunberg. Um, Greta has uh, a perspective that allows her to uh, attach to an idea in a very pure and um, dispassionate way, even though she is herself very passionate about uh, the, the validity of these ideas. But it's uh, a good way to, to take a measure of the logical response to any particular situation. And she made a statement not long ago, and I'll read it to you now. She says, the coronavirus is a terrible event there is no positive to come out of it, but it also shows one thing, that once we are in a crisis, we can act to do something quickly, act fast, though it must be in a different way to how we have acted in this case, we can act fast and change our habits and treat a crisis like a crisis. Now this is exactly the sort of sentiment uh, that I'm talking about in regards to this pandemic. We have been placed into a crisis situation, and whether we want to change or not, change we have to make. And uh, I think that the only issue that we need to be able to focus on at this point is taking the that that ability to change and directing it, not just at one singular issue, in this case, the coronavirus, but directing it towards all of the major issues that affect us at this time in our history. She carries on to say, just today, uh, on, on Earth Day, April 22nd. Whether we like it or not, the world has changed. It looks completely different now from how it did a few months ago. It may never look the same again. We have to choose 
a new way forward. If the coronavirus crisis has shown us one thing, it is that our society is not sustainable. If one single virus can destroy economies in a couple of weeks, it shows we are not thinking long-term and taking risk into account. This, for me, actually sums up the whole situation. Um, we have a situation in our global governments and our society at large in which we think only for the short term, whether it's the, the corporations that produce our uh, wasteful capitalist materials, the, the, the new iPhones every year that are you know, the, the go-to example of wasteful consumerism, uh, or whether it's our, our governments not thinking ahead towards a pandemic response, cutting laboratory testing facilities because they're trying to save money they don't need to save, or whether it's us as citizens and consumers wasting food, wasting heat, wasting our uh, potential using our transports as if they were independent vehicles to to move one person at a time instead of several not thinking efficiently not looking ahead not demanding uh, the the protections that we should have for these sorts of events or even the most minor emergency events like illness and having the protection of a universal healthcare system or out of work and having the protection of a basic income or some other sort of monetary support system or whether it's just rethinking the way in which that we actually engage with the capitalist system in general beyond the day to day. So it's at this point I want to get back to my response to this particular film, The Planet of Humans. Um, I had uh, this aspect, as I think a lot of people did, of a bit of cognitive dissonance about how we approach the, the, the damage from not just the obvious fossil fuel industry, uh, damage to the environment through CO2 emissions and mining for fossil fuels, in particular places like Canada and Alberta, where they have the tar sands, which are hugely damaging on a envir direct environmental level, um, but also because of the, the product that they produce contributing so greatly to, to greenhouse um, gases, but also taking into account the, the damage that alternative energies might do and not just grasping for that short-term fix, the short-term view, but looking forward at a much longer term, at a reorganization of our society and our industries in order to pre prevent further cataclysm from happening because of a, a very narrow and short view, viewpoint. So... Uh, I have two enormous bones to pick with the makers of this film. Where are your numbers and what are the solutions? Bone number one. I think it's important to point out and consider the damage 
that even alternative energies have on our planet and the marginalized people who live on it. Nothing is truly clean, but where is the math? Where are the figures that say how bad this impact really is in comparison to the current situation? It is one thing to say that a wind turbine uses fossil fuels and cement and mined metals and coal to refine and reform those metals in order to get made, and that it only lasts for 10 years before it needs to be replaced, and that sites can be destructive to local environments. But what is the math on that? Is it actually worse? What percentage of the cost is purely driven by predatory capitalism, as was the case in Scotland, where landowners were paid to put wind farms in fields with no wind? And if it's better, is it better enough? Or will we just slide into oblivion a little slower than we would otherwise? No one mentions any of this in the film, and that in particular bothers me. Bone 2. This film is a great piece of wake-up for a number of people on the green left, no doubt. Scary exposés often are, but we need to have some exit strategy, or desperation becomes hopelessness, and that is as damaging as any corporate greenwash campaign without clear or even offered set of possibilities to utilize in order to overcome the situation. This film essentially offers nothing more than a nonlinear propaganda. Nonlinear propaganda, I will come to at another point, uh, but uh, we'll get there in a second. Not once was geothermal, hydroelectric, thorium-based nuclear, or a host of other direct alternatives mentioned, which is a major issue. Not once was urban planning or carbon capture or social equity mentioned, not once was organic cooperative farming or permaculture or rewilding or veganism mentioned. There wasn't even a single mention of transport alternatives like mass transit or even cycling mentioned throughout. This is not acceptable. If you outline an issue and give a clear exposition of the drawbacks without mentioning the various other alternatives and then leave the viewer to draw the conclusion that we're doomed you're being straight-up irresponsible. Are there problems? Yes, obviously. I don't distrust any of the information given insofar as it was stated without measurable comparison or alternative, but we can't keep focusing on the problems alone. We can't keep demotivating ourselves from the fight to make a change. This isn't the Obama campaign, cry change and then do nothing. We have to have a solution-focused approach, or we are doomed. So I just at this point want to thank Michael Moore for producing this film, because it, it is an important piece of media and drawing our attention to the complexities of this issue. But we really do need to have a more holistic approach. And it's ironic that this film focuses on holistic thinking, but doesn't go far enough in terms of actually creating... Um, any information or producing any information around what those figures actually mean and where the solutions lie. Now, Ozzy Zenner, who's the producer of this film, one of the producers of this film, is uh, a professor and uh, he's an environmental sociologist. And this is actually his 
field of study, and he uh, clearly put a lot of his own information into the background for this film. Um, he wrote a book, I think it's called Green Illusion, which really dives deep into the exposition of how these issues affect us uh, and, and are, are derailing the green and environmental agendas. Um, and he does actually offer some um, social solutions. And I think his perspective is really that it is the social aspect that has to be addressed in order for us to find a solution. And I, I do agree with, with him on that perspective, that we consume too much, there are too many of us, and the, the combination of those two things is the crux of our problem. But there is something that I think is actually being overlooked here. We are not consuming and engaging with the consumer culture in a vacuum. Our society has been molded to, into what it is today by an aggressive propaganda campaign, an, an ongoing campaign that has uh, taken us from the Industrial Revolution through the expansion of the, the American West, the empires of uh, several different countries, including the UK especially, and the <clears throat> this imperialism of world and nature domination uh, right the way through to our current uh, capitalist consumerist culture where nothing has value or merit and everything is disposable. We've spent a lot of time in the last few decades trying to repackage that into a more palatable uh, version of capitalism and consumerism, one that uh, pays some kind of lip service to um, to the environment and how we how we act as custodians for it. You'll you'll know no doubt that the uh, the recycled packaging culture and recycled materials um, are are a very popular zeitgeist these days. Uh, we even have uh, more locally shops that uh, allow you to uh, buy your consumer goods without packaging at all. Uh, reusing containers and bringing your own from home and these are all these are all positive things and they're definitely ways in which we can engage in producing a better society however those sorts of solutions don't come through the tv they don't come through the radio they're not bombarding you on the subways and buses and mass transit systems they're not coming at you from Apple or Nike or the Koch brothers. And there's no solution for non-packaged, recyclable, self-sufficient, 
energy for the home. Our consumer culture creates its own vortex into which we're dragged in. This propaganda, and it is propaganda, is driven by a class of people who establish themselves as corporations in order to consolidate their wealth and power for the sole purpose of further consolidating more wealth and power. And they use our labor, they use our debt and our credit, and they use our physical bodies as a commodity to, to, uh, to leverage into more and more and more wealth and power. And that is actually the issue, because it's one thing to, to put the onus onto society to make a change. But we, we know, intuitively, I think everybody knows, that society doesn't change itself. Not without a great amount of direction and prodding. And our media and our corporations, our consumer corporations and our energy corporations and, and all of the various different companies that promote and sell a product to us, uh, they follow a model of economy that relies on exponential and infinite growth, which obviously doesn't exist. We are at the point now in our societies across the world where we've actually reached several plateaus in these different uh, milestones of growth. And the only way we've managed to burst through them is by rearranging very subtly and without people really understanding the meaning or re recognizing what was happening, rearranging the mechanisms for which that growth can happen. Uh, capitalism itself relies on people buying things, obviously. But unless people individually become wealthy, they can't continue to buy things ad infinitum. So what's the solution? Uh, debt. People go into debt in order to buy more and more things. We are... We are given uh, debt and in the form of credit and interest uh, every time a bank makes a loan, every time we're offered a credit card through the post, every time we're given the opportunity to, uh, to buy something that our own company makes. So... Uh, without this becoming too much of a rant against capitalism, um, I'm sure there will be many opportunities to do that in future episodes. Um, the point I'd like to draw back to here is that we, we need to have a much more holistic and far-reaching perspective on our environmentalism, 
and we need to address it in a much more holistic and societal way, which in my eyes is, at least in part, uh, through addressing the propaganda that we're exposed to in order to replace that with something more positive and productive. Uh, we can do that by making our own propaganda, which of course, you know, organizations like Greenpeace do. Uh, but that only goes so far. What we really need to do is to allow people to train themselves, to deprogram themselves from the effects of propaganda in general. And to, further than that, accept that in order to make a change in our uh, trajectory and to save our environment and to save our planet and to, in a sense, to continue living as comfortable animals, you know, on this planet, we need to change our concept of what our future is and how we want to live in it. Fundamentally, we need to give up on the idea that this current lifestyle that all of us live at some base level has to change. We are in this pandemic lockdown at the moment, and we've made those changes. We've made a lot of those changes. Most of us have. And it's not a stretch for us to say that we can carry on with many of these things. We don't need to consume in order to survive. We don't need to consume in order to entertain. We don't need to, we don't need to give up on the things that add joy to our lives, but we need to question what is the actual purpose of joy and what is the purpose of our lives in general and how do we engage with that without destroying or exploiting others and, and ultimately ourselves so those are the questions I'm going to leave you with uh, at this point this has been an interesting experience I've been trying out this new software from uh, Anchor FM and I'd really like to uh, offer my thanks to Anchor for providing a, a service and a piece of software that for free allows me as a essentially nobody to produce something that maybe nobody will listen to, but at least I can do it easily and freely with Anchor FM and I really appreciate that. And so thanks to them for producing a great bit of great bit of kit. Until next time, I'm J.R. Ryan, and I hope you stay safe and healthy.